you know, we, we won several national championships together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I continued on with, uh, with Brad, also a D3 coach and we won, um, several more. Um, yep. so that eight year in a row streak. And I've got like these great snapshot memories of, um, when we had the opportunity to watch our kids, you know, break the tape and, and win yeah. those championships. And some yeah. of those championships I would say were sweeter than others, but, um, but yeah. all of them were sweet in their own, in their own way. And right. certainly, um, you know, you know, the, the, the athletes who we took from being, you know, good athletes to national champions that we built over the a series of years while we were right. there, those, those are really sweet. The, 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 the super talented kids who walked in and basically were destined to be national champions. Hi, welcome to this week's episode of the D3 Multisport Podcast. On today's episode, we have Coach Dave Shannon. Dave's been coaching with D3 for over 10 years. Not only is Dave, you know, one of my best friends, but just a good, honest guy. Um, recently, he won the USAT Community Impact uh, Coach of the Year for all his hard work with not only athletes in tandem, where Dave essentially toes, poles, and pushes an athlete for the duration of a triathlon, but also his work with the University of Colorado triathlon team, where he's been part of eight national championships, which is just amazing. Um, He's been doing this for 14 years now at CU. Dave is a very accomplished athlete himself, recently raced um, Indian Wells 70.3, a sub five for uh, almost 55 year old man and uh, 457. I think he was top 10 in his age group. Guy's just astonishing. Um, I hope you enjoy this uh, interview with Dave. He's a fantastic guy. I think you'll get a lot of inspiration out of it. And uh, if you like the episode, please do share it with your friends, like it, follow us, and uh, tell everybody about it. Thanks a lot. Hi, Coach Mike Ritchie here from D3 Multisport with longtime D3 coach Dave Shannon. Dave, how the heck are you? I am living the dream, Mike, as always. As always, as always. So what's new in your world in terms of uh, training? You have anything coming up? Uh, I am getting ready for uh, my traditional December year-end closer in Indian Wells, 70.3. Nice. You like that uh, cold water, I guess, huh? I like a cold water and a, and a bike course that goes below sea level. It's a, it's a nice, fast race, and um, Palm Springs is a good place to be in December rather than Colorado. Totally. But well, yeah, the snow last week, I guess that's right. Um, so when did you get, uh, started in triathlon? I know you, you swam a bit in high school, right? And then, uh, you did pretty good, like LA city or County type of meets and that kind of thing. Did you swim in college too, or back me up into high school and then bring me into college and sure. started with triathlon. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll start just, just a quick line. Even before high school is that I did all the typical ball sports as a kid and I pretty much sucked at every one of them, but kept going back. So, you know, little league and, and, uh, and football and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, baseball, I played uh, right field every other inning. That kind of gives you a sense of, uh, of what my, my skill was at the ball sports. And I always loved swimming and um, just came to it very late, but um, was yeah. really blessed with amazing coaches. So I did my first year of competitive swimming was my sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't remember exactly, but I don't know if I could have swum a 200 straight at that point. And, um, you know, a 50 free was just sort of lots of, lots of, uh, effort and enthusiasm and not a lot of technique and skill to start that season. But the coaches I had were, were unbelievable. And they kind of set me on a path for the way I build my own coaching. Um, by the end of that sophomore year, I was, um, LA city champion in the junior varsity for 50 free. And then I swam varsity junior and senior years, um, always in the finals, um, didn't win any other individual championships, but always made top six, uh, in whatever events that I was in. And I attribute that all to the, to the coaching that I had in school. Nice. That's awesome. And that's, uh, gave you a little, uh, taste of success there. And obviously you're a pretty competitive triathlete at this point. Um, and what I admire about you is it seems like you're still, A, you got the desire, but B, you seem to still getting faster on the run and, you know, figuring things out with aerodynamics and, you know, you could swim, you know, 2000 yards a week and you probably do, and you're still coming out of the water and, you know, the top in front of the pack. So that's, yeah, uh, I put my time in with the, with the swim. So I I do swim once a week, most weeks, some some weeks less, but, um, but typically once a week just to kind of keep the volume up and and I'll, I'll correct you. I I don't feel like I'm getting faster. And actually the times show that I'm not really, I'm, I'm getting slower, slower. And, uh, that's a key to success when you get into the higher age groups. That's right. So do you use anything at home to help your swimming? 
I do uh, occasionally jump. I've got a VASA ergometer um, okay. in the home gym, and um, and I jump on that periodically more uh, for just focused on some little corrections here and there with technique than really trying to keep up with the fitness, although that tool will work for, for both. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The faster masters that I've talked to, mm -hmm. uh, almost all of them will say they work on drills or some part of the technique all the time, even more importantly than, you know, swimming the 4K swim or, you know, the whatever, 30 times 100 or whatever the set is. They always tell me that it's about the technique, right? To keep refining it because that's where you're going to keep that advantage over people. Totally agree. Honestly, I can say that I, that probably ninety percent of the time when I'm swimming, I'm thinking about some element of my stroke, um, and the other ten percent, I'm trying to keep the you know the the interval in my head so that I can I can make sure I touch and and go at the right times. But right, um, I really every time my hand hits the water, I feel like that's an opportunity to to get better. Right, um, literally every stroke. So you know, I had um, a oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna I was gonna continue the story from from earlier that when I got to college, um, I was you know California swimming in the eighties was fast. Um, I was not California D one caliber and um, and you know was a utility freestyler pretty much. Um, Could have contributed on a team, but not mm -hmm. anywhere near the top. You know, and right. um, found triathlon pretty quick in in the beginning of college, and um, that was another sport that. I wasn't great at to start with, but, uh, but gave me some opportunity to grow. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to just go back to your swimming. I was going to, yep. I had an epiphany a couple of years ago okay. as my running was slowing down and my swimming was staying steady. And there were some faster guys coming into our age group since we share an age group. And, uh, I realized that these guys that are swimming, you know, 15, 16 minutes for an 800 or whatever, I was like, they're really not going to get faster because they would have to put a heck of a lot of time in. So it's worthwhile to me to stay in the pool or stay engaged in swimming because that's an advantage that I'm not going to lose as I get older, right? Like there's, there's definitely that advantage to knowing, uh, you know, how much time you need to put it in the water and, and the technique like you talked about and just, you know, creates that gap that maybe people can't overcome even in a, even in a sprint distance race. Yeah, it's just it's too much for them to make up. Totally agree. Obviously, the best way to go um, if you want to be a fast swimmer is to start when you're three or four years old and have elite level coaching all the way through. Right. Um, harder for the adult onset swimmers um, who we're competing against in in all of these age groups. But um, but you you can tell the difference between between someone who's who's come up through the sport and um, and someone who is is relatively new to the sport. And you're right, it's it's tough to catch up, but it's the same advice really is to work on technique and um, don't worry so much about volume. And, and it's, right. you know, you know, uh, we coached at CU for several years together and we finished the workout. And the first thing that the kids would ask, this was before everyone had watches that counted this stuff. <laughs> they would say, how many yards was that? You know? And it's yeah. like, well, who cares? What difference does it right. make? How many yards that was? Why is that the important metric? Right. Right. Yeah. I still get that with my master's swimmers. How many yards do you think that was? And I'm like, well, I know what it was supposed to be, but you know, what did you get in? <laughs> Right. right. So, well, when did you do your first triathlon? That must have been uh, late, late eighties, right? Yeah. 1988 okay. um, at Benelli Park, California. So I, I think it's currently part of the LA triathlon series. They do, they cool. do races there. I haven't, I haven't raced there since the late eighties, but, um, but that was my first race. And yeah, there's a little story there if you want to, if you want to yeah, hear that. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, at that point, you, you were in the sport around that time too. And, yeah. you know, there was, there was no guidance. Nobody knew what right. the heck we were doing. And there were certainly some, um, you know, DNA lottery winners who were dominating the sport. But for the rest of us, um, it was a lot of guesses. And there, there was a one book on triathlon at the public library that I would check out, you mm -hmm. know, keep it for three weeks, renew it for another three weeks, bring it back for a couple of days, and then check it out again. Um, and that kind of guided all of my training. But I mm -hmm. had no idea, you know, there's, there's no coaching and it was, the sport was pretty new. Right. And, um, I knew I was a good swimmer and, um, I used to ride the bike around, uh, town to get around and kind of converted that into a little bit of training and running was, uh, never natural to me, but I didn't, I felt like enough, you know, to get through this race and it was mm -hmm. Olympic distance. And, um, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure I came out of the water, you know, at or near the front. And then, the whole race was downhill from there. Like I basically trained as a swimmer um, and people just kept riding past me and away from me on the bike. And I couldn't figure out why, because I'm young and fit and, you know, yeah. have been 
practicing for the sport. Um, and I, and I remember getting to the run, I have sort of two little videos in my head that still exist, you know, 35 years later is sort of me starting the run, which was, you know, probably jogging for 15 steps and then stopping and starting to walk. And then I'm sure I walked the entirety of the rest of the 10 K except for the last 15 steps that I jogged through the, the finish line at that point. So, um, total, total disaster in, in those days. Um, the post race food was just a picnic bench with some orange slices. And, um, I remember sitting down at the bench and just starting to eat and somebody saying to me, like, this is, this is not a table to eat at. This is like to pick up your food and, and move on to somewhere else. But I was exhausted. I, I could literally go no further. And, um, I'd raced with some friends and they went to the uh, the post race barbecue while the, probably somebody was you know hand tabulating results to do awards. Right. And um, I said I'll just pack the bikes up and meet you guys over there. And the next thing I knew, they were waking me up. I had a like yard sale of equipment in the parking lot, and I was asleep in the back of my station wagon. So um, it was uh, it, I had nothing but potential, I would say, for the sport. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I was hooked. So uh, obviously you like hard things, and uh, you picked up triathlon, which you know without any a lot of advice, you, you did pretty well you know get got going and everything and now uh you're doing some ait stuff which is incredibly hard and why don't you talk to that a little bit and how you got involved and what that's evolved to you because i, I know when i talk to you about it uh i see this um, deep sense of appreciation for it you're mm -hmm. grateful that you get to do it whereas most people would look at it the other way that someone should be grateful that you're towing them around but you're actually happy to do it and uh you know, I see you pulling the stroller through the sand and going up old stage, which is, you know, has 16% grade in there and all these things. And you've got this smile on your face, maybe not going up old stage, but when it's over, you're smiling. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, uh -huh. it's pretty cool. Yeah. So AIT athletes in tandem is a, um, a Colorado based uh, charitable organization started mm -hmm. by my friend, Dennis Vanderheiden out of Fort Collins. But um, we do work all around Colorado races and even out of state as, as well. I met Dennis uh, at, in 2010. He had just at that time became aware of, of um, Dick and, and Rick Hoyt at that point. Right. So he, had, he didn't know that story and had seen mm -hmm. a video of it. And it just inspired him. It just completely spoke to him and said, I, I need to do something like this. Why, why is it just these two? Which it right. kind of was at, the, at that time. There's been some um, expansion of other organizations as sure. well over the years. But um, I was getting ready to do the horse tooth 10K swim and they used to do, or I guess they probably still do, a uh, an athlete meeting the night before. And Dennis was friends with the race director, with Joe, and, and mm -hmm. just came and spoke for a few minutes um, and just said, hey, I'm starting this organization. I don't really even know what it's going to look like. But um, he had started it with with um, with Zachary, an athlete who who uh, he felt like he could race with. Yep. And... Um, and just kind of said, hey, if anybody is interested in helping out, um, he may have really been looking for donations more than than uh, actual you know, athlete help. But uh, I went and talked to him afterwards and said, just keep me on the list. And so I think it was the, the next winter or maybe it was later that year, we went to Naples, Florida for a, a hits race. And that was my first uh, my first experience with athletes in tandem. So that was an open water swim. My very first time um, swimming, pulling a raft, we didn't have an opportunity to meet beforehand. Yeah. Um, and then uh, sprint race in Naples, very flat, um, met a couple of athletes there locally. And uh, my first partner was a was a, a, a young guy named John, who just was the greatest first partner you could have. He was not verbal um, with his disability, but he just laughed and clapped and rocked in the in the stroller the whole time. And I've yeah. got a picture of us coming to the finishing line with this. He's just he's got this huge like he must have been mid laugh, huge smile on his face. And um, I, I look at that photo almost every day. It's down in the gym, and it just it it inspires me to to know that you're able to share the experience with him. And I've since done probably. I don't know, three or four dozen races, um, right. some open water swims, some tries, a couple of runs. Um, and probably half of them have been with my partner, PJ here in, in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And he's who uh, I'm typically going over old stage with at, at the peak, but I've had a couple different partners for that race as well. Yeah. So just take me through, um, so you wear a harness for the swim, right? To pull a raft. Yeah. This, it's is, like, this is a 150 like, pound person, right? This isn't like... Uh, yeah, we've I've had athletes as big as 150. PJ is is under 100 pounds, but okay. by the time you add the equipment, 
you know, when you get on the bike, by the time you add the, the stroller, you're probably looking at, you know, somewhere between 120, 150 for a yeah. typical athlete. Yeah. Rolling. yeah. Yeah. The power to weight ratio gets a little jacked up for me. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't it's get rolling resistance power. once you get it up to speed, but going up a hill, it's all you, it's all power. It's yeah. Gravity yeah. pulls pretty hard on those things. So right. yeah. So in the water, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just two like loop straps that go over each shoulder, like mm-hmm. an X. And then we, you know, use a carabiner and hook a, a rope onto the back of the raft. The rafts are um, small, kind of flat, very stable, um, stable mm-hmm. rafts. The athlete that we're, we're um, guiding will wear a, 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 you know, a vest or whatever, a safety vest, but, um, but nobody, knock on wood, nobody with me has ever gone in the water. Um, right. But you, you would feel that if, if that were to yeah. happen, you, you know, the, the raft would get a lot lighter real quick. So, Quickly, yeah. Um, so yeah, PJ is great. He, you know, he stays still in the water. He, he likes getting a little, little wet. He, he seems to appreciate it when he's, when he's wet by the time we get back in, but, um, but he doesn't want to get out. So that's, uh, that's been helpful. Um, and I would say in the water, typically if it's like normal, you know, relatively speaking, you know, reservoir conditions, flat, no wind, mm-hmm. it's probably only a 20% penalty or so on, um, on the amount of effort that's required in order to hit speed. If it's windy, um, that changes the calculation a little bit. Um, right. and especially like going around buoys and stuff like that, like there, I've been in windy conditions, sort of the good way where, you know, you go to take a breath and PJ's next to me, um, in the raft you know? and, um, <laughs> And then, you know, other times the wind's blowing in our face and, and, uh, you know, that 20% penalty gets a little bit harder at that point, right, but, um, right, but right. it's always pretty manageable. The, the swim really, I think is the, is the lowest sort of, you know, speed penalty for effort of the three yeah. sports for sure. Yeah. And then it's a burly for the bike, right? It's yeah, it's a different, uh, different brand, but it's basically just a very large, um, trailer you know it's big yep. enough it'll fit into an adult and he's he's uh an adult at this point not a large adult but we've had larger adults in there as mm-hmm. well and yeah it's not like it's not one of these like aerodynamic lean back whatever it's more like you know take your stuff to the market and around town kind of trailer yeah. but it's yeah. got a uh you know a high weight limit that we that we can use and right. um it's it's locked on to the bike um on the rear the rear quick release and then it's also tethered on just in case that that were to fail so um yep that that trailer on the bike you know on the flats i would say it's probably something like a you know one and a half times as hard maybe a 50 percent penalty something like that when you start going uphill even small hills you know where areas you think are flat um when you put a trailer at 150 pounds behind you turns out that you notice every you know one percent grade is still a still an uphill I'm sure. Um, and yeah. it's at least a, I would say a double, you know, hundred percent penalty, double, right. double right. the difficulty. Yeah. So if it takes you 12 miles an hour to get up a three, four, 5%, then you're probably going six or seven, five, probably six something in that range. Yeah, yeah. We've seen the hardest race I've ever done, um, with athletes in tandem. It's actually Boulder peak is always challenging because of that, right. that hill with the hardest race. You may remember that one Oh six West race in, yeah. in Dillon, Colorado. Dillon, so that, yeah. Yeah, we started it, you know, the lake swim was at 9,000 feet, right? And right. then the bike turnaround was in this little town of Montezuma at like 10,200 feet. Yeah, I was going to say, it was almost like a pass. I mean, it was pretty high up. It there. was pretty high up. And I, I went back in preparation thinking that this might come up on this and went and took looked to see what my minimum speed was um, during that course. And it was Did actually, I guess? go ahead. Yeah. Three miles an hour. It was a little under two. It was 1.9. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, when you get onto those really steep sections, you've got to be able to balance the bike, right? Cause right. if you stop on a, on an incline like that, I had to stop yeah. once on old stage and I was really worried I wasn't gonna be able to get started again without, um, right. rolling backwards. So, so there's a certain amount of fear that, um, that just takes over that, you know, I, it's not a matter of like, I want to stop and I could stop and take a rest. It's that I cannot stop once we're, once we're on the really steep stuff like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And then for the run, right, it's just a regular stroller, but it's a, you know, obviously an adult size stroller, but that's, that's pretty hard. I mean, you're going from, you know, pulling to pushing, which is a total change in muscle groups, right? Yep, it definitely is. And, and again, the hill, the surfaces make a difference. So, um, you know, pavement way easier than, than dirt, not, not just the normal penalty for running, but just the way the thing rolls. Right, right. And, and certainly like some areas, you know, you'll be on on areas of the course that have say some single track on them and, you know, you can only get one of the three wheels in the, in the track and the other two are, are kind of bushwhacking through. So, so that can be that can be challenging, and again, it's the same thing. The hills, um, both uphill and downhill, are a little bit of a challenge on the on the on the run uphill mm-hmm. because you know you're really you're pushing hard to 
to move every you and and the the tra- the uh, stroller rather and the athlete up the hill and downhill it, it kind of wants to get away from you a little bit because right. you know it's it's on wheels and so um, it has a handbrake and I will um, oftentimes be on you know running fast and on the handbrake just to make sure we stay together yeah and same yeah. thing we're tethered together as well as as um, as just me holding on to the trailer but right. or the stroller rather but. Yeah, a nice flat paved course is a whole different experience than a uh, than a dirt hilly course. That's for sure. Do you um, are you sore the next day? Do you feel pretty sore? Sometimes, um, some races definitely. Yeah. Uh, other races. The thing is, you know, you and I have talked about this, and you talk about the amount of power and so on. And I think that what um, there's kind of a a disconnect a little bit is that I, I don't. It's not like my threshold changes, right? I put the I put the same amount of power out. We just go slower. Right. So right. Um, so it's kind of like a doing a the effect of like doing a longer workout at, at yeah. threshold versus a shorter workout at threshold, essentially. Right, so right. yeah, I can be sore and in, you know, but, but it's in sort of the usual spots, right. That I, that you would be after a long, hard workout. It's, yeah. it's yeah. just, a, yeah, it's just a, you know, an Olympic instead of taking two and a quarter hours takes three and three quarter hours or four hours, something like that. that right, that's, right. that's kind of the math on it. You know, but just, you know, thinking about the torque, right. The torque on the cranks going up a hill that, you know, you're, you're going three miles an hour, maybe your cadence is 20 or 30, right. That, that's a lot of uh, power output and it's a lot of muscular endurance. Um, it's like saying, you know, go pick up 250 pounds off the ground 80 times in a row, because I mean, it's that slow, you know, low power. So that's why I was asking if you were sore, just because I, I noticed that, uh, you know, just a ton of torque. It's yeah. A, a little more, a little more on the muscle, muscular endurance side of things than the aerobic endurance side of things. And right, for the sure. bike that I ride now, I've, I've, I've rigged it up with a super compact crank. And so, because you really have to sit, if you're standing, um, you really want to be standing for minimal amounts of time because that trailer starts swaying and it kind of can knock you off your own balance a little bit. So I right. will, um, I'll try to sit as much as I, I possibly can. Awesome. So yeah. just, uh, switching gears a little bit. Sure. Um, I know you've been coaching CU since 2010. Is that right? I started with you and yeah, 2010, 11 season. 2010. Yeah. So this is your 14th season. This is year 14. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So, um, what's like one of your favorite memories or yeah, start with that. What was one of your favorite memories of, you know, 14 years coaching, many, many different kids. I mean, hundreds of different kids, literally. Yeah. yeah. And literally. you know, the, the joke that we used to say, Mike, all the time is that, you know, the, the kids are always 18 to 22 and we get a year older every year. So uh, right. it's harder to chase them down now than it was when we first started doing <laughs> that together. Um, my favorite memories are always race day. Um, yeah. you know, we, we won several national championships together. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I continued on with, uh, with, Brad, also a D3 coach, and we won um, several more. Um, So that eight year in a row streak. And I've got like these great snapshot memories of um, when we had the opportunity to watch our kids, you know, break the tape and and win those championships. And some of those championships, I would say were sweeter than others, but um, but all of them were sweet in their own in their own way. And certainly, um, you know, you know, the, the, the athletes who we took from being, you know, good athletes to national champions that we built over the series of years while we were right. there, those, those are really sweet. The, 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 the super talented kids who walked in and basically were destined to be national champions, yeah. they're fun to watch. They're really amazing talents. Right. Um, but you get a little more satisfaction from, from the yeah, one. You don't think you're, cre- you're uh, uh, giving as much value as you do to a kid who comes in and maybe they're a 40K, 40 minute 10K, but, you know, they can't swim. And you teach them to swim and to get in that 25 minute range and they can score points for the team. And ultimately that's why you win, right? Because of something like that. Exactly. You know, that kid that finishes first or second is really not affecting the scoring too much, but those kids at the back end are the ones that really are, um, you know, determining your, your, you know, where you end up. Absolutely. That's exactly how it works. And, and, you know, you'll remember without, you know, we don't want to name names probably, but like we've had, we had teams that were, some years you have multiple sort of superstar kind of athletes and other teams that were more like, I call them the grinder years, you know, yeah. where, where nobody finishes in the top 10, but everyone finishes in the top 20, you know, and right. that, that's the kind of thing that will win a championship, even if you don't have right. somebody up a, a superstar right at the front. So yeah. yeah, those are the kinds of memories that, um, that really stick with me. And it's not only the national championship races, it's, right. it's anytime these kids race and watching them just turn themselves inside out in, in a way that like I I've dug deep in races myself, but I've watched our athletes race in a way that I I've never 
had that depth of, of will to go as hard as they go. Right. Right. That's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, you've been there a while. Do you have anything you could share? I mean, obviously you've taught a lot of those kids how to swim. You've taught them how to pace the bike. You've taught them how to run well. You've created right workouts and, you know, tapering all that stuff that a, a good coach can do. Um, is there any lessons that they have taught you over the, over the years that you would like to share? Of course. Well, as you know, you know, we have um, secret sauce workouts. I can't possibly yep. reveal, you know, exactly what we, uh, right. what we do in that program. Um, but um, no, that's not true. I mean, it's the same, you know, that, that, that every program does, right. It's volume, intensity, quality, and rest. Yep. And, and that, that's, that's, that's it. The secret sauce on this team is, is the kids themselves and how they interact with each other and what they're willing to do for each other. I, I barely even consider that to be coaching in a lot of ways, but. Right. Well, you're providing um, the, the, the place to do it, the platform and, and all that. And there's a certain level of acceptance of what you're going to accept and what you're not going to accept. Right. And they, they feed off that and the right kids are going to rise to the top and the kids that are not going to, don't do well with hard coaching. They don't do well with it. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah, that's, that's okay. true. Yeah. Well, as you know, you know, the, Triathlon's a club sport at CU, and so we take all comers. And so, yep. um, you know, at the at the we we um, Brad would talk about, you know, we we organize the pool from the, um, this end is the fast end, and this end is the fastest yep. end. You know, there's nobody slow, but um, but we but we have you know kids who will join the team who literally do not know how to swim. They can't put their right. face in the water. They can't they can't swim a twenty five. They can't get across the pool on yep. the first night. And that's the first takeaway. And I think maybe the most important thing is just sort of the, the spirit for the sport, you know, that it's maybe it's the the spirit of youth. I, I don't know. But um, I know that that when I was 18 years old and if I had been in school um, that had a program like ours with the, with the sort of national championship pedigree and, and, and a lot mm -hmm. of elite fast people who've gone on to become professionals and some Olympic hopefuls and so on. I don't, if I didn't know how to swim, I can't even imagine stepping into the room. And I, I just, I just love that we have um, young athletes who say like, this is for me, you know? I, yeah, I can't do any of this stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out, you know? Right. Um, and they always do. And so that, um, that spirit is something that you just don't see it outside of college. You know, D3, I think has created a great um, family environment and a team environment, but it, it's not the same. It's not the same as right. collegiate club racing. Um, and well, there's so uh, much more energy, testosterone. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. a lot of everything, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. Um, and so along those lines, like a sort of a peripheral learning, but I, I kind of think of it as a second thing is just to suspend what you think is possible when you set your big mm -hmm. goals. Right. And, and, um, I work for Jim Collins uh, professionally during the day. He's got a concept called the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. And it's, it's, it, in order for something to be a, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, it's got to be something that you're not sure you can actually achieve. It, it can't be something big, but that you know you can do. Right. And, um, and I think that really fits what we see with, uh, with these collegiate athletes. And honestly, and with the age group athletes I coach through D3 as well, is the idea of set, setting a BHAG and like showing up um, at the beginning of that training, hopefully show up on race day, knowing you're going to get it done, but showing up at the beginning of a training cycle and saying like, I don't know if I can do an Ironman or I don't know if I can do, you know, whatever, a 10 K swim or whatever right. it is. Or that this training block for, you know, exactly. And, um, yeah. and then um, going for it and getting through it and just um, the idea of sort of, yeah, suspending the possible and, and just, going for it, um, with some guidance, that's, that's definitely a, a huge takeaway. Um, and the last thing I'd say just for lessons from CU in particular are, is just that there's a place for everybody in triathlon. I, I um, and, and I get a little taste of this too, when I race with athletes in tandem that I go from, you know, not always right at the very front of the race, but, you know, toward the front of the race when I'm racing solo to oftentimes the back of the race, you know, yeah. like we, we yeah. might beat four people, you know, yeah. um, over the course of the day and, um, the kinds of people that you meet at both ends. Um, and I assume in the middle are, are just, everyone's awesome. You know, there's spirit yeah. for the sport. There's thanks for an uh, appreciation for volunteers. And, um, it's just, it's, it's very, it's very inclusive. It, it can feel a little daunting maybe with the, equipment um that some people have and the speed and the obviously there's some monetary considerations to get into the sport but it doesn't have to be like that you can race on a on a borrowed bike and um you know and you don't necessarily need a wetsuit at every race and and right. you know pair of running shoes or a pair of running shoes right um and we can get it done so um 
it's just a it's just a constant reminder um, that you know getting people to their first triathlon you know reminds me of how awesome doing my first triathlon was even though like I mentioned earlier it was kind of a disaster it was still the yeah. start of something really big and important in my life. That's something I always share with my athletes, especially when they're doing their first Ironman. I'm like, I, I've done this ten times. Like I can't go across that line again for the first time. And you know, watching them on the track or doing it in per, you know going to a race and seeing them doing it in person, it's just fulfilling, right? You just this whole thing of you feel with joy of like, wow, that's really cool. I helped that person do something that maybe they didn't think they could do yeah, you know, nine months so ago true. or a year ago. So that's, that's yeah. a lot of fun. And working with, you know, working with age groupers, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're trying something new. They might be really successful in other areas of life, right. or maybe they were great, you know, they're great athletes, but not great triathletes and what have you. And you get to guide them to their first one. And like you said, it's, it's just, it's, it's, you can't do it again, right? Cause you've already right. done it yourself, but you can do it through their eyes and it's really fun. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I would say that you are the uh, you know in-house swim expert at D3. So if I have a question, I go to you, or if I need a lesson for somebody, I'll send them to you. Uh, in general, you know, we we kind of know this, but if you were to look at somebody and you know they're swimming whatever two two fifteen a hundred two thirty a hundred, um, typically when you look at somebody, what are the first three things you look for with their stroke or body position or whatever it is like, well, yep. how do you look at somebody and assess it and say, okay, if we fix this, this will also get fixed at the same time, but man, this guy really has to work on this one thing too. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so at that end of the spectrum, the first thing I look at is just sort of general comfort in the water. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what, whether they're fearful, sometimes you have folks who, right. you know, they, they swim because they need to swim, but, um, but they're generally uncomfortable in the water. And right. that's, right. that's a great sometimes point. that's something that we, you know, we think about even before we get in the pool, right? Um, when you've got folks who have had maybe some bad experiences in their past, you yeah. know, first swim lessons in a coffee shop as opposed to on the pool deck. Right. Um, but even for folks who are swimming and, and you know, feel like they, um, you know, they're not, they don't think they're afraid of it, you can still kind of see um, cues in their, in their body and in the, their eyes, you know, when they come up um, at, at the wall or what have you, whether they're comfortable or not in the water. So yeah. um, I try to take sort of a, get like sort of their, their uh, water zeitgeist. I, I don't know what the right word is that, but just overall comfort in the water um, as it's just a very first assessment. And then really for like a typical age grouper, who's just looking to get faster, the, the three things really are going to be, um, I look at body position overall. Mm -hmm. So head position, driving body position, but overall body position. Yeah. I look at the quality of their kick, um, which I know is not typically considered important for triathletes. Everyone wants to save their legs, but, um, right. but the right. kick, um, you know, provides the rhythm of the stroke. It's the cadence uh, mm -hmm. of the stroke. And so if that kick is not, um, it doesn't have to be necessarily strong, but it has to be, or it has to be at least minimally propulsive. Right. And it needs to be rhythmic. Right. Um, and then, um, the, the third big thing I'll look at is the quality of their catch, the very front end of their stroke, yep. what happens when their hand hits the water and they, they transition from recovery mm -hmm. to that power phase is what that front end of that stroke looks like. And I, I think, obviously there's, you know, there's a million different nuances that you can work through, but, uh, but if we look at those three things, that body position, that quality of the kick and the quality of the catch, I think that, um, it's one of those 95% of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Easily. You know, that, that's just, that's the majority. If we can work on those three yeah. things, um, we're going to, we're going to turn a two thirty swimmer pretty quickly into a two minute swimmer. And then right. from there you can start making the real gains to start dropping into the, you know, one thirty, one twenty, and so on. So, um, my first swim coach in 19, what year was it? 94, 95, something like that. It was an Australian guy. <laughs> and uh, how we ended up in Rhode Island, I have no idea. But he, he was there on the pool deck talking in his accent that I had never heard before. Like, I'm from Rhode Island and accents are really bad. But Australian, I mean, that's, that's pretty competitive with the East Coast accent. But he was a uh, believer in a you know straight arm. So it was a straight arm. Arm goes in. Yeah. A lot of depth, a lot of power. Um, you know, being at whatever I was 24, 25 at the time probably didn't affect me doing that now would be a disaster for my shoulders and I wouldn't oh, yeah. be swimming very much. Right. So we've, yeah. we've, we've gone, you know, now we know that, um, you know, that the drag trumps power, right. So we want less drag. And what is your thought? Um, I'm just curious because it always changes. What is your thought on the finish of a stroke? Cause you talked about the front end and that's what I've always taught, but what do you think about the finish of a stroke? What, I mean, is it 2% of the power or 3%? Does it matter? 
You know, so I, I take maybe what would be an unpopular position on this with it's, it's um, fine. That's good. with swim yeah. coaches, but I, I think as a as a as, you know, I'm not coaching um, pool swimmers. I'm not coaching pool swimmers to do yeah. a 53, right? To where, right? And so if you're coaching 22 year olds to swim their fastest 53, they can probably get away with a straight arm stroke for a certain amount of time. Sure. You know, sure. Obviously, the shape of the stroke has changed many times over the mm-hmm. years since we both started coaching this, but. Um, I, I, I find the finish for triathletes is to be really not that important. Um, honestly, like once you get to the back end of that power phase to get that finish in, you're really, you're relying on primarily triceps, which is a pretty small muscle to ask, you know, to ask to do a big job of moving you forward. And so I think about that finish primarily just to set up the recovery and, and then, and then the front end of that stroke. And this is, you know, here's a little controversy or whatever. For the most part, I think, you know, distance per stroke as a standalone concept is baloney essentially because right. it's 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 a combination of your distance per stroke times your stroke rate right that right. that determines your speed and so you get this big focus we see this all the time with um with the 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 kids coming in to see you is that they were high school swimmers and um their coach just drove into them you know super long and maximize your distance per stroke and minimize your stroke count and so on. And so you get kids who are good swimmers. They might be able to get across a 25 yard pool in nine strokes, 10 strokes. I mean, that's, you know, nine single arms, not, not cycles. Um, but if they do that, they're, you know, they're swimming that 25 in 30 seconds or whatever, lots of gliding, like it's not a sustainable stroke for speed. And, um, as triathletes, you know, we're typically wearing wetsuits. So you've got a little bit of of uh, material around your shoulders, which is of course getting better and better over time, right. but it makes it hard to really to overextend at the front end and to overextend at that back end. And so I, most, most of the time, the advice that I'm giving swimmers is to say like, you'll be faster if you add a stroke or two per 25. And I mean, you, you've seen the same faces that I've yeah. seen. I'm like, what, you know, my coach told me I should be, have a lower distance, a lower stroke count rather a higher distance for stroke. But the reality is, is that especially open water, it's not flat surfaces. You've got the wetsuit and so on. Like I'd rather you take a few extra strokes and get more power phase in than, um, than more, more finish really. So right. there's my, my controversial take on, uh, oh, that's, on- not, that's, that's, that's great. You know, funny, you said that about, you know, distance per stroke, um, when, um, T T I had first come out. One of the yeah. guys we swam in our master's group with had gone for the weekend. One of the very first ones he came back. This was like 96 or okay. had to be 95 or 96, 94, 95. He came back and he's like, guys, I can get across the pool in 12 strokes and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and he was one of the guys in the back of the lane. So he's looking for an advantage to get to the front of the lane, right? And so the guy who leads the lane very sarcastically said, well, that's great. You can do 12 strokes. But as you said, if it takes you 30 seconds to get there, who cares? Like you need yeah, to be yeah. able to swim with some speed. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, so I think there's some helpful that. sort of concepts and drills within TI, but I, I don't Love maybe you can yeah. correct me. Like have we uh have we seen any TI Olympians? I, I don't no. I don't think no. that's that's really what it's intended for. So right, right. No. You know, no. where I was leading you with the finish, and uh, this is just my own belief. Mm-hmm. But I think that the shortened finish is actually going to keep you, um, help you keep that front quadrant swim going. And I, I feel like I almost, that whole pulling on the rope thing, that's what I think about a lot. And I think about, you know, my hands crossing somewhere around my shoulders and just keeping that power going. It's just, it's like, it would be like pedaling two strokes and then coasting and then like, just right. keep it going. Right. Like that's just such an easy concept. If you think about it like that. Yep. Um, exactly right. You know, yeah. that whole thing of one arm completely stretched out one direction and the other one with the finish that those days are over. Like we're onto the new and better science and in concepts and studies and all kinds of things. And people totally just need agree. to uh, understand that old school swimming's fine, but if you really want to go fast, I mean, there's, there's better ways to do it on less volume. Right. Yeah. And maybe I'll just share one thing, Mike, is that I, you know, you were probably taught the same stroke. I was, was this big outside, you know, inside, outside, stroke, just, yeah. you know, we need to put an S curve in there. And as we move to that, not a straight arm, but a straight pull pattern, right? Mm-hmm. So good, good high elbow catch, and then pushing back basically straight toward your toward your hip. Right. Um, I, uh, gosh, it's probably been ten or fifteen, maybe fifteen years at this point. But I made the conversion from the way I had been taught and was mm-hmm. you know, fast and 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 um, and and won races as a you know high school and, and college age kiddo um, to this as an adult. Um, this this straight arm pull and. It took, it probably took me, you know, three weeks of really focused swimming just to be able to swim 
um, like a regular stroke pattern, not a full catch up. Like I could really only do one arm at a time, you know? Right. And then you go through the next little phase of that. And I, I assume you've probably made the same transition where you kind of lose your old stroke, but you don't have the new stroke yet, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I was being able to whatever, go from, you know, hundreds on whatever the 120 or 125 at that point in my life, you know, to like 135 and going backwards, you know, like you right. lose 10, 15 seconds on a hundred and, and you can't get the old stroke back and you don't have the new stroke yet. Yep. And, um, I just remember being panicked for, for, for weeks yeah, yeah. until finally, like the time start dropping again, you start getting faster and then eventually, right. Right. um, you're into the new stroke. So it takes a commitment. And this is something that we see with, um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you can tell more stories than I could with athletes all the time where they, you say like, you need to do X or whatever. And they say, okay, so I tried that for a 25 and it didn't work, you know, right. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not really what I was talking about. Right. Well, that's, yeah. that's, that's trust the process, right? Like just yeah. trust to the workout. And, and I'll tell you, I've been there where you're at the, you know, 135, 140 saying what happened to my 128s and 125s, but yeah. Yeah. you know, making that change, you got to have that long-term thought process and not this instant gratification of, I'm going to do this for a week and I'm going to be faster. That doesn't yep. work, right? You got to put the yep. time in. Your yep, body is, is just trained to do it a certain way and then you got to untrain it and retrain it. So that's hard. Exactly. Yeah. The untraining yeah. Is, is, is hard and it requires kind of a leap of faith, right? That's the benefit totally. of quality coaching. I, I wouldn't have attempted that if I didn't have a great coach who said to me, listen, here's, this will make you faster. Here's why. And here's how. Right. Right. So, uh, I know you, uh, you pride yourself on fast transitions. So I really want to know, uh, since we've competed at, you know, so many times together and some of those races may have come down to transitions a few times. Uh, what are you thinking when you, uh, get out of the water? What are you thinking when you get off the bike? Is there any monster in your head or, you know, are you just, I, I know your, your, I know your motto is the, you know, the fastest, you know, the best thing about transition is not being in there or, you know, something to that effect, but yep. Yeah. First, yeah. First it. of all, transitions don't be in transition, right? First actually, transition, right. I learned that uh, that mantra from that uh, or that saying from Ryan Bice, who we coached at CU. That was he must have picked it up from a coach somewhere, and it's just stuck with me all the time. So yeah, you know, transitions they count, right? And so when you're totally when you count. when you're trying to figure out how to shave a minute off your race, you know, ten seconds a, a mile on a ten k is way harder than um, free speed in transition, right? Right. And really, like transition at its at its base is you're basically you're changing shoes and changing hats, right? It's not, mm -hmm. um, it's not complicated at that point. So, um, I don't really use mantras, but I do, I'm kind of a checklist guy, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so when I am finishing the swim before I even get out of the water, I am going through the movie of what my, what my transition is going to look like. So it's, you know, come out of the water and then what, what's first, right? Goggles on your head, but don't take the cap off yet. Then unzip the wetsuit and so on. Right. So I'm going through those steps and I visualize that step-by-step step as I'm coming into transition so that once I get up out of the water, I'm standing up, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm mission focused at that point. Right. So right. check, 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 check. Just, uh, just going through the checklist until I'm um, out of transition and on the bike. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the same exact thing I do. I think about, you know, wetsuit off, pull one leg out, step on the other one, I'm out. And then what am I doing? Yeah. My helmet's on glasses and I'm gone. Right. That's it. It's that simple. Right. Um, the mantra, the mantras, I, I get that that works for some people. For me, I'm just so focused on the function that yeah. I, I don't, I don't need to pump myself up to do it. I just need to know what I'm going to do in order to get it right. done. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And I know we've, uh, you've done a lot of, you know, some great videos on transition and some, some good stuff. And I know that, uh, you actually even have a transition contest with the kids at CU, right? Like you see if yeah. you can beat them and you, you yep. owe them ice cream if they beat you or something. Yeah, we've been yeah. doing this for for years. We figured out that um, that the you know you and I used to race head to head in the sprint race while they were doing the collegiate yeah. Olympic race, and um, and at some point I don't know if it started back then or right shortly after after you uh -huh. moved on, but right around that time it's been going on for probably ten years at this point. That basically I'll race the sprint, they race the Olympic, but transitions are exactly the same. And, and mm -hmm. my deal with these kids is is that if they if they can beat me through transition ties go to me. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but if they can beat me and my combined transition times, I'll buy them, you know, Froyo from, uh, from the yeah. local Froyo shop. And it's like, literally they, some of these kids have made me pay, you know, it turns out you can get 30 or 35 ounces into one of those cups or whatever at a, you know, <laughs> a dollar an ounce or whatever they're charging these days. Um, but you know, so I'm racing 60 kids. There's no, there's no, uh, no reciprocal bet on there. They don't have to buy me anything if I beat right. them. Right. And so right. I'm just trying to minimize my losses, um, with that. And, and in a typical year, 
you know, I'll pay out somewhere between six and, a, and, and 10 out of maybe 50 yeah. kids who will, who will beat me. At some point, you know, they're, they're younger and faster than I am. I can beat them at the rack, but I can't actually beat them running through transition. Right. So, right, but right. the point of it really is to, to make them think about it, right. Yeah, is to make them sure. think about like, this, this is, this is free right here. Yep. Um, and, you know, as I remind them all the time, like it, it, I really should be buying, you know, if there's 50 kids racing, I should be buying 50 Froyos because I'm a, almost a 55 year old man. I've thrown my back out emptying the dishwasher. This should be easy <laughs> money for them. Um, if they're thinking right. about it, but, right. um, I agree. But it requires, requires a little work in order to beat coach Dave. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I have examples of winning my age group and having the second fastest swim bike and run. And the guy in front of me had the fastest at everything, but I got him by a few seconds in both transitions. And absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what people are doing in transition, but it's costing them places. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've, you've led some of our Zwift workouts with the D3 group and, um, mm -hmm. you had the Michigan workout that you turned from a track workout into a bike workout, which is a lot of fun. I have that as one of my favorite workouts. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite? I know you do a neutral calorie ride on Super Bowl Sunday. You do some sure. fun things. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite bike workout? Like if it's intense, I mean, in, bike workout being indoor workout. Yeah. For indoors. Well, I do like that, that, um, modified Michigan track mm -hmm. workout onto the bike. I think that that's pretty fun. And, and it's, modified it's pretty miserable to be honest. You know, it's, uh, well, it's, <laughs> uh, um, it's, it, it is miserable, but it, uh, but it, it'll make you strong. That that's totally. for sure. So, um, yeah, the Super Bowl ride, a uh, long time tradition with, um, with a couple of friends that we now mm -hmm. do on, on, on Zwift. We did it even before Zwift was a thing yeah. and still on the indoor trainers is that we, watch the game and ride our bikes on the trainers for the first three quarters. And then, um, and then basically eat as much as we can during the fourth quarter. And, and it ends up, we try to, you know, we call it calorie neutral, um, whether it really turns out that way. I don't, I don't know, but, um, but that's been a fun tradition. And I think we're probably just, we might be this year might be the 16th year or something that we'll do. I was we'll going to say it. you're like 15, 16, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So we've been doing that for quite a while. So that, that's definitely fun. And honestly, you know, Zwift, I was a little, um, uh, suspicious of it, I guess, at the beginning, you know, I kind of felt like, okay, well, the serious workouts you do on the CompuTrainer or Perf Pro or something like that, you know, I don't, I don't need a video game to, to right. play, but, um, but enough of my athletes were, were using Zwift that, uh, that a few years ago I said, all right, I really have to learn this. And I got yeah. just sucked into the, you know, just the, the game side of it and also the, the training real tool benefit side of it as well. And, um, honestly, some of my favorite workouts are, um, you know, going for, for not necessarily the KOMs in the games, cause I'm not quite that fast, but, but, you know, just trying to set PRs on the Alp or on, on right. the, on the big climbs or what have you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I like a little extended suffering time and, um, and the game provides that. And, uh, I think it's good training and it's certainly nice in the, you know, in the, in, on the days where you can't get out and ride, we, we were blessed with the mountains out here, but you can't right. ride them in, you know, October, November, December, January. Right. So, um, to be able to go get like a one hour climb in where you really feel yeah. like you're doing the work. Th those are the kinds of workouts I really, I, I sort of dread and look forward to at the same time. Right. Awesome. Okay. So just to wrap up, I got a question for you. So um, I've been coaching for a while now. So any advice you'd have for one of your athletes of something not to do, you know, in a race that maybe you've had an experience with, that you maybe you've done it once or twice, or maybe, you know, just don't do this because I've done it and it will, you know, you'll have a miserable day if you do it. I mean, Mike, there are a million things. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, we've been in this sport. I'm trying to figure out what mistake I haven't made at some time or another. And unfortunately I've made some of those mistakes more than once. Right. So, yeah. um, um, even this season, I, um, I, I had, I, I had a race where I, showed up at my bike, you know, from the swim in T1 and realized that my Garmin is in my bag, you know? Um, so <laughs> at least no one took it, right? That's... No, no, it was probably in the bag in the car, you know, like it wasn't even in transition. I just never, never put it on. So, um, so that kind of stuff is kind of fun in minor. I was sharing with you, like an example of the Boulder peak, um, years ago before I was racing with athletes in tandem, there's mm -hmm. a, there's a speed limited descent on the, on the back end. And right. so you want to, you want to have 20, your 25 or so. I think it's 35, but I think if you, you can easily 30, go 45, I think it's 30. Yeah. But I think okay. yeah, if you just release the brakes and let it ride, you're going 45 probably. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I, I, you know, got out on the, on the bike. I did have my, my, uh, computer at that time. I think this was pre Garmin though. Um, 
and got out on the bike and it's just it's showing me you know no metrics zero miles an hour showing me cadence but um but no speed and I can't figure out what it is. And I look down, I realize I, in the dark in the morning, I just put the wheel on backwards. So the magnet that you needed was on the wrong side of the bike. So, um, so I had to kind of make sure that I didn't pass anyone during that speed zone. I got right. past people. I'm sure I gave up a few, few miles an hour on that. So, um, so that's a good one along the technology. Same thing. This is maybe there's a good, le- those are sort of whatever these things happen and you kind of get through the sure. race. But sure. one that I think has good lesson is basically is, is calibrating yourself to, you know, to multiple inputs so that you kind of know how to pace out your day. And especially mm-hmm. at the longer races, this is more important. So, you know, it's not just knowing power or heart rate or a combination of power and heart rate or mm-hmm. what have you, but that, that RPE, which we kind of, you know, it gets second billing, I think, um, when, you know, people get deep into the sport because they really want to know what their watts per kilogram are and, yeah, you know, right. can I hit a thousand watts and whatever, but being calibrated with your RPE is important. And I, I, I play a game where I'll be riding along even still, and I'll say, ah, this feels like 215 watts or whatever. And I'll look down and see if I'm within a few watts of that, you know, and you get, want to get close to that because right. the story that I'll tell is that I, um, this was, this is now 15 plus years ago, but um, at Ironman in Canada, uh, was a mass start back in those days. You got, you know, 2000 or 2,500 people in a bay and they just shoot up the cannon. Right. And, um, and so they count you down, you know, five, four, three. So when I got to three, I hit my polar watch to, to start it and yep. the screen went blank and that was it for the day. And my whole plan was based on heart rate and power. Um, and I had none of it, um, none right. of it for the day. So, um, so yeah, being, you know, being able to have a, a plan B. Um, so some of these stupid mistakes, you know, they can really hurt you, right? You show up to a race without your helmet. Maybe you can borrow a helmet or whatever. There are some things that could keep you from racing, right? You show up on your bike and you forgot to put the wheels right. on, you know, the, the front wheels sitting on the driveway. Um, that's the kind of thing that could actually keep you from racing. But most of the mistakes that we make, you can race, but you just need to figure out, like, what's the alternative way to get through this, right? right? And so... Right. Um, you know, last, last year, this time last year, this weekend, last year, um, I, um, I ran the New York city marathon and, um, the night before the race at like nine o'clock, as I'm going to bed the night before, we've got to be at the, at the bus at three 30 in the morning. I happened to notice in the athlete guide that, um, you can't wear a backpack or a hydration vest or whatever. Well, that was my entire fueling plan was, um, was yeah. my, was my race vest. And, and, um, so I showed up in the morning and had to go with whatever was available on course, course. and I got a finish, but it was, <laughs> it wasn't good. Um, it wasn't <laughs> good. So, um, so, you know, making sure that you're, um, you're working on the, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C is the checklist I was talking about earlier, you know, check, 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 and, and have ways to get through, um, even if things don't go exactly as planned, whether it's because of something you control or something you don't, that that's, you know, you race long enough and just about everything's going to befall you at some point. So um, having a backup is a good way to go. I agree. I agree. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on. We really enjoyed uh, talking with you and I'm sure we'll have you on again. Um, good luck at Indian Wells. Let's hope you kick some butt down there. And, thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll try to make the best of the luck I get. I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, good luck is for the unprepared. I'll, I'll be prepared, but, um, but I'll take the luck that I get and turn it into whatever I can for speed. I love it. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Really fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Trust the Process. If you have a question on anything related to triathlon, please send me an email at mike at d3multisport.com. We'd love to hear from you. Make it a great day.